and was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And then it continues that a priest happened to be going down the same road. And then it continues when it talks about the Levite. And so too, a Levite. And when it says, and so too, the Levite, the so too is that the Levite is going down the road in the exact same manner that the priest did. And this is a very, very subtle thing in the text, but it's so crucial. Like when Luke points this out, remember, Luke's a physician. He's a doctor. He's a bright guy. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho actually does go down. The road is about uh, 10 to 17 kilometers in length, and um, it goes down 3,500 feet in the, the measurement of sea level of the height. So the road literally goes down. So this man who was mugged was leaving Jerusalem. The two religious people were leaving Jerusalem. They did not have a religious reason to not help this person. Can't use it as an excuse. This expert of the religious law, Jesus is <laughs> this expert who's trying to, to mess up Jesus and try to disprove Jesus. Jesus kind of throws a little thing into the story here that if this guy's paying attention, he's realizing there's no religious way you can talk yourself out of this story. Again, because this guy, this expert in the law, is trying to justify himself. He's trying to justify his behavior. He's trying to justify how he has chosen to live out his faith. And so Jesus says, no, they're going down. They're leaving the temple. They're done their duties. They're going back. <laughs> and they see someone who is hurt. Probably one of their own people. Text doesn't specify who the person is but someone who should know the heart of God. When all throughout the Bible, we read that God's heart is for the broken, for the marginalized, for the weak, for the sick, and for the poor. Those who are closest to God should know the heart of God. So that's where this road is so important. So how, look how this plays out. So when we know all of these characters, you know, the road, you know, the Samaritan, the priest, the Levite, the expert in the law, and you see how this all plays out together, right? Again, in that very first question that is asked, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why doesn't Jesus say, just believe in me? I'm about to go to the cross and I'm going to die for your sin. And if you, whoever believes in me shall not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. Why not quote that text from John 3:16? Why not say, I am God. I am God, the father. If you would just love me and follow me, you could be saved from your sins and you will have eternal life. Why doesn't he say it there? Well, Luke doesn't record Jesus saying that, that there because Luke actually records that message just a couple of verses before this story in Luke chapter 10, verse 23. Like this is what he says here. Uh, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Jesus is talking to his disciples privately. And Jesus says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Talking to his disciples. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they wanted to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. He's reminding them, it's like this stuff that the prophets of old and the kings of old that they were waiting for, you are witnessing it. And what are they witnessing? Go a little further up into verse 22, where Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my father, saying all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Jesus continues, says, no one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. That whole idea that there's only one way to God. When Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Luke records his version of that right here. So he's already said the answer. Luke has already said the answer to the, the, the expert of the law's question. When the expert of the law answers his own question, he says, love the Lord your God. It's all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength. Um, Luke's already said, well, what does that mean? It means love Jesus. Because Luke's already just pointed to us that Jesus is God. That all authority is given to Jesus. That you cannot know God the Father unless you know Jesus. You can never experience eternal life unless you know Jesus. And so Jesus right here, and so Luke, that's what he's doing. That's what he's showing us here. And so this is how this is playing out, right? But then Jesus kind of focuses on that second part of the greatest commandment, the first greatest commandment of loving God. But then the second part, which is as equally as important is loving your neighbor as yourself, That's where Jesus lands the plane here. That's what he focuses on. If you truly love God, if you truly love me, then you will love your neighbor as yourself. Right? He's talking about who do you and I love? Because the reality is, just like this expert in the religious law, you and I could try to justify who we choose to love. The church could choose to prove who they should love and who they shouldn't love. And Jesus, again, through this story, doesn't give any margin, any wiggle room for us to choose who we're going to show love to. Right? Jesus taught this in Luke chapter 6. Um, we kind of didn't look at that chapter. I would encourage you to kind of, even though I'm skipping a number of the chapters here, go through them, read them. It's good stuff. But Luke chapter 6, Jesus told his followers, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Right? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to, to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. <laughs> See, Jesus is calling us to a radically different kind of love, a love that loves our enemies, a love that, that loves people who persecute us, that loves the unlovable, that loves people that we would not normally be known for loving. It's easy to love church people if you're a church person. (laughs) It's easy to love people who look like us, behave like us, act like us, uh, eat the same foods that we have, make the same amount of money that we have, all of these things. That's easy. (laughs) But Jesus is calling us to a different kind of love out of our love for Jesus. So the big question for all of us to answer In this teaching from Luke's gospel, the big question that you have to answer, that I have to answer, that our church has to answer, we have to ask a big question. And the question is, who am I in this story? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Who am I in this story? Am I the priest? Am I the Levite? Or am I the Samaritan? 
Again, because it's easy for us as people who know the Bible, who study the Bible, who memorize the Bible, who, 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 who take theology courses, who take, you know, especially when you take systematic theology and you see how it's all connected together and, you know, and how are we supposed to defend the faith and how are we supposed to call people to repentance and what about this command and what about that command and what about this and what about that? All these things that we try to piece together in one big giant puzzle. All of those things are good things. All of those things are important, but none of those things negate the commandment to love. None of them. None of them negate the commandment to love. How we do church, how we worship, all of those things. None of that thing, none of those things are as important to God as love. And that's not just a New Testament teaching of Jesus. That's even in the Old Testament. Right, this expert of the law should know this, should know that this is the heart of God. Like in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, the Lord said this to the prophet. He said, these people come near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. The Old Testament, and the Old Testament has a big deal about rules and commandments and regulations. I mean, that's what the whole point of the Pharisee movement was, to ensure everyone's keeping these rules. And way back, 700 years before Jesus is born, this prophet saying, this is God's heart. That this rules and these regulations and how they're worshiping, it's just all made up by people. It does, it's meaningless. There's another prophet, Micah, in chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, says the same thing. It says, would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Those were the things that people brought to sacrifice, that they brought to the temple to make sin offerings for the people. Was it rams? Was it oil? He goes, shall I present my firstborn for my transgressions, right? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And he has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? (laughs) It's so much more than just this kind of thing that we do. You see, the thing that we do, the, the church, the worship, the studying of Scripture, all of these things are to change our hearts. We grow in our love of God so that we can in turn grow in our love for our neighbors. But who's my neighbor? But who's my neighbor? This past year has taught me that my neighbor is whoever God brings in front of me. (laughs) It's whoever God brings in front of me. It's easy to just say, well, my neighbor is just my church, so I'm just going to, you know, focus on my church. Or my neighbor is just the people who live physically near me. Their house is near my house. Or just some people that I might, you know, go to school with or work with or things like that. But you and I are living in a day and an age where we're meeting people in ways that we've never met before. We're meeting people online. We're connecting with people through social media. We're connecting with people through Zoom and all these different tools. And God is constantly bringing people into your life that need the love of a good neighbor, that need to be touched with the mercy of God. So how can you and I grow 
How can we have grow in our faith so that we can truly love our neighbors the way Jesus teaches here? And so what I want to do is just very quickly look at three different things that we can learn from the Samaritan. Well, we can look at the Samaritan here and how you and I can grow in our faith to to be a blessing to our neighbors. But ultimately, this all has to start with knowing who Jesus is, because that's how Jesus starts this. Right. This isn't a a passage of the Bible that says, if you just do good things, if you just are a good neighbor, then you will go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. (laughs) That's what we call works that you perform in order to earn your way into heaven. And we believe as evangelical Christians that that's not how the Christian faith works, (laughs) that we don't get to heaven by the work that we do. We get to heaven by the work that Jesus did on the cross by dying for us. You see, these sacrifices that I read about in Micah, those sacrifices were done because blood had to be spilt to pay for sin. So the people of Israel would pray over these animals and it was like their sins were going on the animal and then the animal was sacrificed to pay for their sin. But the animal wasn't good enough to appease God. And so they had to sacrifice again and again, year after year after year, until the perfect lamb of God came, Jesus, the second part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he came and he was the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he went to the cross, when his blood was spilt, sacrifice was done. That all of us could be made clean because what Jesus has done. And so if you want to be a good neighbor, it starts with loving God. And to love God, Jesus says, it's to love Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. And so maybe you're here today joining us here at Greenbelt Online, and this is the first time you've ever heard this. I want you to know that you are not here by accident, that God loves you, and God wants to this question that you might have been wrestling with, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? The answer is to love God, to love Jesus, to turn your heart from those sins that are in your life and to turn your heart to Jesus. And you can do that real simply right wherever you are watching this from. You could just pray out loud. You could pray this quietly in your mind. Just say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Today I give you my heart and I give you my life. Come into me and make me new. And if you pray that today, I would love if you would just kind of click this little pop-up shows up. Just click that raised hand button that's there. Uh, A pop-up shows up. We would just love to get your name and your email address so we could follow up with you and get some free resources to you to help you on this journey and to connect with you because you're part of our family now. And we want to do this life journey with you. So we'd love it if you would fill that out. So it starts there. And because of our love for God, and as we grow in our love for God, then it spills out into how we love our neighbor, how we can be a good neighbor, right? And so look at the the example of the Samaritan here. There's three little words here, three words. I want you to write these words down. It's see, feel, and respond. See, feel, and respond. Like here, so we start with C. So in verse 33, it talks about the Samaritan. And the Samaritan says, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, see, he noticed him, he saw him, he could see him. 
What's fascinating about the priests and the Levite, what they did is they crossed the road. The man was mugged on one side of the road. What did they do? They didn't want to just walk past him. They went to the other side of the road. So they don't have to make eye contact with this person. So they don't have to look at them too closely. They could easily ignore them. How many of you have ever done that at some point in your life? Where you've walked across the street to avoid someone? I have. I used to work downtown Montreal, and there were always people on the street looking for money, people begging, asking for help. And there were days where I just didn't want to acknowledge them, didn't want to help. And I would literally cross the street sooner than I needed to so they wouldn't talk to me, so I wouldn't feel guilty, so I could justify myself. How many times has a, a phone call come in and you've seen on your phone who's calling? And you swipe ignore. <laughs> because you know, don't want to deal with that. Don't want to deal with that person again. So we need to see. We need to have eyes that are open to the people that God is bringing into our lives. So that we could love them well, the way God calls us to love them. Right. The second thing that we learn from the Samaritan, not only do we see them, but then we feel. Right. Verse 33 continues and it says, the Samaritan, he took pity on him. Right. He felt for the person in need. You see, empathy is a powerful emotion. When we see people who are hurting, it, it should hurt a little bit. Now, I'm not saying that every single hurt in the world should kind of be devastating us and we end up in kind of a fetal position, just crying and sobbing on the floor seven days a week. Because if you open your eyes and see all of the world's problems, it could really break your heart and can bring you down a dark path. But I don't think that's what the text here is saying. But feeling pity on someone who's hurting, pity on someone that God has brought into your life, right? To feel empathy for them. It's out of that empathy that sometimes the best care comes from. I remember talking with a, a city official once about the work that the church does in the community, and they would love to see the church do more and more and more work to feed hungry people, to help the homeless, to help people in need, because the people from the church have a heart that care, that they, they, they care for these people. They love these people compared to just an employee, who does it for the paycheck, who does it for the job. Now, some people get paid to do that kind of work, absolutely. But I'm saying the person who's just doing it for their career, doing it just for the paycheck, not because they love people. The city official we were talking to was like, man, I don't want to put money there. I'd rather see the church do that. <laughs> because we have empathy, because we pity. And not a pity party, but our heart breaks for them because of the condition that we find them in. Right? And then finally, what do we do when we see them? When we feel for them, well, then we respond. We respond. It continues in verse 34. We see, so the Samaritan, he went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. That's for his healing. And then he put the man on his donkey. He brought him to an inn. And he took out two denarii. What two denarii is? That's their currency. That's enough money to pay for that inn for two full months. That that person could stay there to recover without having to worry about two 
two months rent is what the Samaritan paid. This despised outcast. Because he had mercy on the person who was mugged. You see, this parable for me challenges the expert of the law in me. The expert of the law that wants to justify things like righteous anger, that justifies things like, well, hate the sinner, but you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. All of these kind of things, these phrases that we use to justify not showing mercy to people. The way that we twist the commands of God to make, to justify our behavior. That's why this expert comes to Jesus, to justify themselves. That's why you and I take a look at our hearts, going, how are we doing as being a loving neighbor? Again, this past year for me personally in the neighborhood that I live in has been heartbreaking for me. It's been the year where I've gotten to know my neighbors the most, and it's also the year where two of my neighbors right across the street from me both died this year. Again, there's a lot of seniors in my neighborhood, and my heart breaks for those families, for this lady across the street who's now a widow, for this man who's probably maybe 15 years older than me who was living there taking care of his mother. My heart breaks for him. My heart breaks for her. Because I know them, because they're my neighbor. So how can I love them? How can I show care? How can I show empathy? How can I show compassion to them as a good neighbor? I need to see it. I need to feel it. And I need to respond. I need to take out my snowblower and blow their driveway. I need to help them out. I need to reach out to this widow to help her out with things that she's not going to be able to do alone. All of these things. And it's not a burden. It's a joy. When we truly get to love people, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, as we love God himself, that is the mission and the command that God has for you to love God with everything that you are to devote yourselves to the study of God's word, to prayer, to spiritual disciplines so you can know God more and more, but not so that you can justify who you are but so that you could be transformed more into the image of Jesus and so that God, through his Holy Spirit, would empower you to bring love and mercy and justice to your neighbor, to that person, that man, that woman, that child that's put before you, your neighbor, to love them the way God has called you to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you for this reminder from your word that it's not about using the Bible to justify my behavior or justifying what I want to believe, but to use the word of God to take a good, hard look on how I'm living my life. Father, forgive me for the times when you have put a neighbor in my past, in my path, and I've chosen to not see them when I've chosen to not feel for them and I've chosen to not respond. God, I thank you that forgiveness is available for anyone who repents. And so God, I repent of that in my own life. I repent of that for our church in times when we could clearly see a need, 
but we were just too focused on our programs, too focused on our stuff, too focused on our resources, whatever might have kept us from seeing the need or feeling the need or responding to the need in our past, Lord. I pray, God, that um, you would forgive us for that. Now, Father, we also realize that we can't help everybody, but God, we can do what you call us to do. And if you call us to bless one and help one, then we'll bless the one and help the one. If you call us to bless 10 and help the 10, we'll bless 10 and help the 10. If you call us to bless and help the 10,000, then we'll help and bless the 10,000. Let your will be done, Father, in our lives, in our church, as you work in us and through us as good neighbors here in this city, in our nation, and around the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.